Okay, I'm glad you're here. It's a it's a special day. Um, it's uh, Yom Yerushalayim, and it's actually also uh, my mom's yurtzeit, Sarah Chayevas Are Haklein. So these words should be uh, an aliyah for her neshama. And um, I want to talk about sort of like um, the the dynamics of Yom Yerushalayim on a spiritual level. You will see how this day actually is quite quite precise in terms of just kind of the um, kind of the spiritual uh, map of the world. It's, it's, it's quite amazing just where this day falls out in terms of the sphere count. And also, I just want to begin by addressing this question. We were talking about it a little bit, but I have a sort of a new perspective on it right now, which is the, the question about counting sphere itself, just in terms of the nature of the counting. And then I will talk about a little bit more about um, Adam Harishon in Gan Eden and, and sort of the nature of this relationship between this world and the next. And all these things sort of um, connect and tie together, so we'll see. But let's just um, start with this famous question, which is that how is it that um, we're counting up toward the receiving of the Torah? So in other words, um, every day we're counting another number until we get to 49, and then the 50th day is when we get the Torah at Mount Sinai. That's the holiday of Shavuos. So normally speaking, if you're like awaiting event, an event, like it's sort of like only two more days to go, only one more day to go, you know, or like if you're counting off for a rocket to take off, you say three, two, one, blast off. So, you know, in terms of the level of anticipation, since this is really all about anticipation, like it seems like you would be counting from 50 or 49, whatever it is, down to one or down to zero. And yet here we see we're counting up. So this, it's a question. It's a question. So I wanted to start off by, by giving a very simple answer to that, which is, you know something, if you say, uh, if a person is counting their wealth, really, they, they're, they're like, you know something, I have another million dollars and another million dollars and another million dollars. You count up, right? So, so... So really, like, the, the greatest wealth, the true wealth of the whole universe is, is the Torah itself. So we're counting up, we're getting richer and richer as we get closer and closer. So that's one idea in terms of why we're counting up. But I want to say something, um, I want to say something deeper now, um, which is another perspective. You see, you see something very interesting. And it was a dynamic that just kind of came to me over Shabbos, really. And um, which is which is that really we're doing two types of counting. We're, we're doing the normal counting, which is the counting up from 1 to 49, right? That we're all familiar with. But then there's also the order of this spherot that we're referencing as we're doing the count. So for instance, and we're going to get more into this in a bit, today is Chesed Shabamachus. And if you actually look at the order of the spherot that we're doing, we're going from above to below. So, in other words, you have two simultaneous counts going on. Two different references are being juxtaposed simultaneously, which is the count from below to above, and then at the same time, we're referencing the, the shefa, the flow of the svirot, from above to below. So in other words, let's say the first day of the Omer, you're saying today is the first day of the Omer. So you're like right at square one. But then what, what sphere are you referencing? Chesed Sheba Chesed, which is really the top of the top. 
And so as you're counting up, you're also describing the flow from Shemayim to the Aretz, from heaven down to earth. Right? So today we say, today is the 43rd day of the Omer, which is, so we're going up, which is Chesed Shabamachus. Now we're coming down. So we've got both together at the same time. So the question is why? Now that we see that this is the case, the question is why? Because what happened with the receiving of the Torah? Heaven and earth came together. Heaven came down to earth. We raised ourselves up to purify ourselves and to be free and to be ready to be kalim, to be vessels to receive the Torah. That involved us going up because that was us spiritually elevating ourselves. And Hashem, so to speak, came down in terms of bringing down the Torah itself. So really the dynamic of receiving the Torah is both simultaneously, right? It's the below to the above. That's, that was our role, which is why we're counting. We're counting up, right? Because we're going up spiritually. And we know that, that the number 50, which is that top number, right? That's the, um, uh, the 50th gate. That, that represents the, the top of the top, the Shar Chamishim, right? And then you have what Hashem is doing, what's going on in terms of the spiritual. That's the above to the below. And they both come together in this amazing, amazing way. So, so, so that, that's, a, I think, an important perspective on, 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 on the count itself. And now you really like, can understand the, the counting in a different way. Because it's not just I'm counting to the day where I receive. It's sort of like you see this, I don't, I don't want to use the word collision in a negative way. This, um, how about, let's say, this embrace in this amazing way of like heaven and earth about to embrace. And that's what you're counting toward, right? And you're actually counting both sides of that. You're counting your side and you're counting Hashem's side. So, and then the amazing embrace takes place. Now, um, now let's transition to Yom Yerushalayim. Because Yom Yerushalayim um, situates uh, this, in terms of the sphere calendar, in, in, in a very precise way, as I, as I mentioned. Okay, so let's just understand what Yerushalayim is for a moment. Yerushalayim um, is, is, is the home of the Beis HaMikdash. And, and Yerushalayim is really that point on earth where heaven and earth come together. We know that um, the Beis HaMikdash is considered, is like um, that when uh, Binyamin and, and, and Yosef embraced each other, when they were reunited, they cried on each other's necks. And if you look at the Rashi there, you'll see why are they crying on each other's necks? Because each was mourning the destruction of the Mishkan, the Holy Temple, in each other's uh, inherited property, in, in, in their part of Israel. So you see that the neck there is, is, is compared to the Beis HaMikdash. So why, why the neck of all parts of the body? Because the neck is that part of your body which attaches the head and the body itself. So the head, so to speak, you know, like I saw from the Shemi Shmuel, that where is the, um, where is the soul really headquartered in terms of the body? It's really in the brain. Okay, it's, I'm sure it's in the blood as well. 
But really, like, the headquarters of the soul is really in the brain. So you really have, like, heaven is really the head, and the earth is the body, and the neck is what connects them. So the base amygdash is the neck. The neck is, the, is that part which connects heaven and earth, and that's in Yerushalayim. Now listen to this. Now let's go into the Sphira chart, and this might be a little bit technical, but if you don't get it, it's okay. Then we're going to go on to other things in a moment. So, so in terms of these, during Sphira, we're really counting these seven Sphira, this, this group of seven. And you have six above, and you have one below. And all of the six come together and flow down to the one below. Okay? So the one below is called Malchus, and that stands for this dimension. And the one just above that, which is sort of like the, um, the top part where all the six come together, that's called Yesod. So all the spherot flow into Yesod, and then from Yesod they come down into this realm that we live in, this dimension, called Malchus. Now what did, what did we say? We said that Yerushalayim is the point between, the connecting point between heaven and earth. So Malchus, this dimension that we're in right now, that's the one on the bottom. That's this world. And then the upper six, right? That's already the heavenly sphere. Now, look at this amazing thing. The, 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 the moment before Yom Yerushalayim, what sphere of day is that? That's Malchus Sheba Yesod. In other words, it's the bottom part of Yesod. Right? Or, or if you want to look at it another way, if you were to look up, the, the, the closest part of heaven would be Mahu Sheba Yesod, right? And then we have the next day, which is today, Yom Yerushalayim, the top of Mahus. That's the realm we're in right now. Chesed Sheba Mahus. And that's Yom Yerushalayim. In other words, we're at that, that point where heaven and earth meet, <laughs> that's Yom Yerushalayim. That's, a, that's an amazing thing. It's a, you see, spiritually speaking, the precision that we got Yerushalayim, which is the connection of heaven and earth, on this point, which is right where Malchus and Yesod connect, where heaven and earth connect, is quite unbelievable. It's this amazing opening that took place, right? And so it's appropriate, just I'll say this, uh, um, my, my mother's yurtzeit, that, uh, that her soul also went up today, right? Because you see, like, so to speak, the, the, the heavens opened up because this is the connection between heaven and earth. So it's a very appropriate day for her soul to have ascended from earth to heaven, you know? Neshama should have Amen. So, with this in mind, I want to talk about um, the nature of death itself. And, um, and, and try to explain death in a, uh, in a way that I think is um, more accurate and for us to be able to wrap our minds around the necessity of death. We know that, um, that death came, and I'll use this word deliberately and then I'll explain it further, death came seemingly as a punishment, but we have to look into that word uh, a little bit more closely in a moment. Death came as a punishment for Adam and Chava eating from the Eitz Adas, from the Tree of Knowledge, and for, you know, um, moving away from, from Hashem. However, we're to understand that for now. And so it says, it says right in the Torah itself that 
death came into the world. So we have to try to understand this better. And the Orach Chaim asks these questions, and they're very good questions, which is, really, why did we have to die for that? Meaning to say, you know, it was our first mistake. Normally speaking, we know that Hashem really only takes action the second or perhaps the third time we make a mistake. The idea that we, 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 we made this first mistake and, and the punishment seems so harsh. Why? Like, what, how are we to understand that exactly? So this is a question that the Orchayim asks. And, and it, it, it makes us um, have to re-examine what, why, what the nature of death is. Because if we just understand it as a punishment, it seems as though it was inappropriately harsh. So, so maybe there's something else going on in terms of what death is all about, so that we can get a better understanding why that wasn't a harsh thing, but rather that was just a very um, accurate, accurate, accurate response of how to um, adjust to the new circumstances that were created by us moving away from Hashem. Okay, so let me explain this further. You see, what happened was, when we ate from the tree of knowledge, we created a new reality. We altered the reality that was there. There was this very sort of open divine flow between heaven and earth. This, there was a, a, a great revelation of Hashem. And the level of concealment of Hashem was a, enough just to give us the, just the, the, the basis of free choice, but nothing beyond that. In other words, God was concealed as he absolutely had to be, but no more concealed than that. Now, in our present reality, after they eat from the tree of knowledge, Hashem becomes radically more concealed, right? And we're going to have to explain that also, because that to me is, is a fascinating question. We're going to give an answer in a little bit, which is, why was God's further concealment a fixing or the arena within which to stage the fixing for human beings? Because if you think about it, you know, to conceal yourself more would actually be to exacerbate the problem. Right now we've got an even bigger problem. And yet, so how is Hashem fixing things by becoming more concealed? Do you hear the question? Okay, so we're going we're gonna to answer that question in a little bit. God willing. But, but let's get back to this idea of how we, we altered the reality of Gan Eden after we ate from the tree of knowledge. So the Orch Chaim and I'm sure he's drawing from all the Kabbalists when he says this, you know, that, that really that the, the nature of human beings, the nature of Adam uh, initially, was someone like who's living in a two-story house, right? So you had like this, the top story would be like heaven, the bottom story would be like earth, and you could go up and down. In other words, we, we know that the Gomorrah brings that Adam was actually hugely tall, Right? It's like massively tall. And, and we, we understand this further by, by, by understanding that we were like creatures of light. You know, one of the things that people say, but I don't know if they really think through the implications of this, that by Havdalah, 
you know, you look at the reflection of the light on your fingernails, right? And you'll often hear people say, oh, you know, Adam and Chava, like their whole skin was like that, right? But, but, but what does that mean exactly? That means that we weren't like these fleshy, meaty creatures, right? That we were really much like we were like elongated and we were like really like creatures of light. What happened was when we went against Hashem, when we ate from the eight sadas, the world became much more physicalized and, 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 and materialized. And when it says that Hashem clothed us with, with garments of leather, garments of skin, right? That that's really where even our physicality changed as well. Okay, so now let's, let's try to understand this a little bit better. So how does death figure into all of this? We see now how the nature of reality changed. But how does death figure into this? You see, what happened now was that really the true purpose of life, which is attachment to Hashem and closeness to Hashem, really took a turn. Now, one of the things we always have to keep in mind is that Hashem is as present in this dimension as he is in the highest dimensions of heaven. In other words, he's more concealed and perhaps we can sense him less we're during our lives now, right? But we have to understand that he's equally present in this dimension as he is in the most spiritual dimensions. Okay? He's a thousand percent present in here. Okay. We sense him less. That, that, that's to be understood. But, but don't think that that means that he's here less. See, because a lot of people make this mistake. This is what I call bad math, right? This is bad spiritual math. That people think that God exists to the extent that I believe in him. They think God exists to the extent that I believe in him. Is it completely wrong? God exists whether you believe in him or not. It's not contingent on our believing in him at all. So God is present here, whether we sense his presence or not. He's completely present, okay? And if we don't sense his presence, this is, this is a shame. This is, but this is our issue. This is not objective reality. Okay. Now, <clears throat> when we went against Hashem, when we ate from the, the tree of knowledge, what happened was this dimension that we're in right now became, I, you know, I, I hate to use this word because um, it's, 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 it's too negative, but I, I'm going to use it, but don't take it too seriously. It became a bit of a prison, right? The body became a bit of a prison for the soul. The world itself became a bit of a prison because you couldn't really sense the true reality that, 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 that we're in. You know, um, in terms of Hasidus, a lot of times people refer to this, our life is that this is the world of separation. But we know on a deeper level, and certainly Hasidus says this, there is no separation. There is no separation at all. But this is how we experience it. It's using it from our experiential sense, these these terms. But the the soul's life really is inside the body. 
Now we know that there are five levels to the soul, and really three of them exist within the body, and two of them exist outside the body, and go all the way up to the throne of glory, to the Kisei HaKavit, right? So this is, this is true too. So we shouldn't think that somehow, as the world became more material, like our soul got cut off from the spiritual realms. That's not accurate at all. Nonetheless, how we experience it, there is this sense of separation, right? Now, how are we going to get the soul back into the true life, right? Which is the spiritual realms. The soul, remember, like the, like a, a, a fish wants to be in water. Like, doesn't the soul want to be swimming in the spiritual realms? Isn't that the ultimate closeness for the soul, right? And isn't that the true reality? I mean, like, if you want to try to grasp... <clears throat> the scope of existence for a moment. This universe, this physical universe, is so radically vast. Billions of light years. Billions, that's the time that light, it takes for, that, that, that's the distance rather, the distance that, tra that light travels over a year. Right? So you think about how fast it travels in a second. How far does light travel in a year? So the Earth, the universe, is Billions of light years wide. All right? Now, that is like a crumb. That physical world is a crumb compared to the spiritual dimensions. Right? So think about how utterly, utterly, utterly vast creation is. So the soul wants access to those realms. That's, that's where all the real estate is, really. But how does it get to that place? Because it's inside the body now. Because we went against God, we physicalized the world, we trapped the soul. True life for the soul, true existence, is that closeness of the soul within God. So God says, okay, so now you're going to have to die. But, but not, now you're going to have to die because I'm punishing you and I'm so mad at you and I'm punishing you. And now the party's over. No. No, it's a very utilitarian thing. Now I've got to get the soul back to where the soul wants to be and where it's going to enjoy the most and where it ought to be. So it's a very, it's almost like a bureaucratic kind of thing. I mean, it's a strange use of that word, but it's just, we just need to transition the soul back to where it needs to be and where it ought to be and where it wants to be. So this is a very different perspective of death and a very different perspective of, I told you we were going to revise this word punishment. See, because in Torah, when you really understand Torah, we don't really have punishment. We have fixing. We have tikkun. It's very different from punishment. You know, just so you can visualize it, the best example I can give is, let's say there's a hole in a garment and you want to sew it, right? You don't stretch out your arms as far as they go from your eyes and you sew up the garment from there, from a distance. If you want to do fine work, you bring it very close and you do whatever correcting needs to be very close. When Hashem wants to fix something within us, He's not pushing us away. He's bringing us close. Now, that doesn't mean it's not painful, right? Like if I imagine, if I'm, if I'm a pair of socks having a needle put through it. 
That's probably painful, right? Certainly painful. But the fixing is taking place. And the fixing is taking place through an act of closeness. So, so a fixing needed to take place because the soul, remember, let's go back to the Orchayim a second. Adam originally was going to be like living in a two-story house, right? Where he can sort of, there's one spectrum between the spiritual and the physical, and he can go up and down. And now just to bring it all together so you can really visualize this, he references Eliyahu Hanavi. See, because what do we say about Eliyahu Hanavi? He never dies. And he comes down in a body, and then he goes up and he's a, an angel again. And he can go up and down at will. And because there's this complete absence of death from him. You see, it's only death that creates this, these separate realms. Right? And so now to readdress this idea... Right? And to fix this idea, death comes into the world, but only to put the soul back to where it wants to be and where it ought to be. Now, when we have the Beis HaMikdash, and when we have Tachiyah Samesim, the resurrection of the dead, we have Mashiach, we have where the world is evolving to. Right? We're going to have a re... We're going to have a reestablishing of that dynamic of Gan Eden, where that's this amazing, fluid opening where there isn't a steer, there isn't a contradiction between the physical realms and the material realms, right? There's going to be that, that amazing flow again, and that's going to be restored, and that's where we're heading toward. That's the destiny of the world. But until then, we are stuck with death, right? But that's, that's not going to be forever. That's just a temporary kind of thing. Okay. So now... I want to address another question, which is, why would the physical realm or the increased concealment of Hashem be the arena for us to fix? In other words, if we didn't recognize Hashem in Gan Eden, right? So, um, why would God say, okay, because remember, everything must be understood from a loving standpoint. You, you, you must have as your premise that God, everything God does is for the good, and that everything is an act of love, right? Because otherwise, you literally won't understand what the Torah is saying. Because you're going to attribute motives to Hashem that, that, that simply aren't there. And you won't get shot. You won't get the basic meaning of the text. So you must begin with this perspective that God wants the best and loves us the most. Not because, oh, that's so nice and it's so spiritual. That's accurate. If you're not starting with an accurate premise, you will not arrive at the truth. All right? So if that's accurate, if it's accurate that God loves us and God wants the best for us, and God wants us to fix whatever it is that we need to, be, that we need to fix, why would it be that the realm, the arena that he created for us to fix what we needed to fix is for him to conceal himself more? Because we find that after we ate from the tree of knowledge, God becomes more concealed in this world. That seems counterintuitive. That doesn't make any sense on the surface of it. So I thought about this a lot, and I want to offer an explanation. Mentioned to a, to a big rabbi, and he liked it, so I feel like I can say it at least. So, so let, me, let me give a couple of examples, and hopefully it's not 
a difficult explanation. Hopefully it will be clear. Imagine you have a little child, right? And the little child is very disrespectful to, uh, say, a rabbi. Right? So what, what, do you, what do you say to the child? Oh, oh, you know, that's... No, you have to be, you have to be nice to him. You have to, you have to treat him with respect. He's, he's the leader of the community. He's, he's, he's learning Torah all day. He's doing acts of kindness all day. So you have to be very nice to him. You have to treat him very well. Right? You, this is how you would explain it to the child, so the child shouldn't be rude or disrespectful. In other words, in other words, what you would do is you would reveal, you would reveal more about the person. Right? So then when the child has a greater sense, then he would go, oh, I understand. Now I have to be nice because now I have a better idea of who he is. Now, what I'm trying to do is make the question stronger why God would conceal himself. <laughs> because it would seem on the basic surface level, what should he do? If we sin in Gan Eden, he should take us to Super Gan Eden, where he's even more revealed, right? And then we'll go, oh, that's God? Oh, I don't want to do anything against God. Right? That, it should have been like, not, not, it should have been the opposite. And yet here we see that, that, that God made it more concealed. And again, we have to approach this from understanding that this is coming from a place of, of love. So what was the good thing that God is doing by making him more concealed, right? So we have an, an even bigger question now. So, so, so to explain it, I want to give another very simple analogy. Imagine you have a, a husband and a wife. And imagine that the husband um, forgets the wife's anniversary, right? Or the, their couple's anniversary. It's both of their anniversary. So, um, and let's say in this example, the wife is very hurt. So the husband is like, oh, wow, you know, we got married today, and it's a big day for us, and, you know, I forgot it altogether, which is, you know, it seems like I don't care about the relationship. That seems to be the signal that I sent you, and... You know, I want to try to make it better, you know. So, um, so here's two different strategies, okay? One strategy is he says, you know what, next year I'll remember. <laughs> That's strategy number one. <laughs> okay, M not the best strategy, right? Strategy number two would be, you know something... Um, Tomorrow, tomorrow or whatever it is, when it's not our anniversary, when it's not a holiday, when it's just a regular day, why don't I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring, I'm going to do something super nice, or we'll go out, I'm going to do, I'm going to really make an effort and do something super nice, to show you that I value this relationship, it means a lot to me, and, 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 and I really care. Okay. So I think that's what's going on, with Hashem concealing himself more. Okay. So, so, so we did this in Gan Eden. So now Hashem is giving us the opportunity on a non-anniversary, right? And an anniversary is like a holiday, right? That's, that's where it should be openly revealed and obvious about our relationship, right? So he's putting us in a place that's more concealed. So concealed, in fact, like, like, like mystically speaking, we say that God is the most concealed in this realm that he can be, where if you search him out, you can still find him. But, but other than that, he's the most concealed he can, be, he can be concealed. 
And remember, just like a cash Torah, like one to always remember, the word olam, which means world, the root is elam, right? Ayin lamid mem, which means concealed, because God is concealed in this realm. So God puts us in this realm, which is so concealed that we can deny that we're, that he even exists. Right? And then he says, okay, now what are you going to do? Now in this realm where we can deny that we're even in a relationship, right? All of a sudden I've been plunked down in Vegas, right? So it's sort of like, you can deny that you're even in a relationship. Now how are you going to act in that situation? If in that situation all of a sudden you're going to do Messiris Nefesh, you're going to go out of your way to show how much of a relationship you're in and how important it is to you and how much you love and you care, then that's the appropriate way to fix. Is that clear? Is that clear? So in other words, in other words, if you think about it now from this perspective, the idea that God is giving us the opportunity to rectify the relationship of Gan Eden, not by making himself even more visible, right? But by making himself more concealed so that we can, we can demonstrate to God our level of attachment and our level of love and our level of really trying to show how important this relationship is to us, then actually God concealing himself more makes perfect sense. Because he's giving us this enormous opportunity to rectify the relationship. So, so from this you see something very, very interesting, which is that a lot of times when something is harder to do, that's why it's all the more valuable. Right? Because it shows that you really want to do it, that you're not just doing it out of force of habit or you're not just doing it because you're doing it. You really want to do it because you're really in a relationship because you really care. And this is why it says, to the effort goes the reward. You see, let's now approach this whole topic from another angle right now, okay? So what did we say? We said that originally in Gan Eden, really like there was this really sort of open kind of um, spectrum between the spiritual and the material. That, that Adam and Chava were like creatures of light, you know, like this fingernail substance, whatever it was, hugely tall. They were like, I think the Gemara says, a hundred amos, like just radically tall, you know, before we became sort of physicalized, you know. You know, I'll tell you something that I saw from the Sfas Emes, something really amazing, something really, really cool. He says, you know what a bris is? Right? This will give you a whole other level of appreciation for what a bris is. When you remove the skin from a man, right? That what you're doing is you're cutting out some of this physicality that entered into the world after we ate from Gan Eden so that light can enter into the soul of the child. And not only that, but you're actually puncturing a hole in this physical realm, this whole dimension that we live in, so that more light can pour into it that that's actually what's happening with the cutting of a bris. Amazing, amazing idea. And by the way, for the women, 
you should know that halachically you're considered as having a bris. And where you see that in halacha is that only um, someone who has a bris is allowed to give a bris. And a woman halachically is allowed to do a bris. So that means halachically a woman is considered as having whatever mila, whatever spiritual attribute a bris has. Do you see? So, so the, a woman is born with that, I guess. So, so whereas this extra dimension, whatever it is, enters into the man, um, you know, still female and male spirituality doesn't mean that they're, they're, they're the same. They, they each have a different spin, but whatever this extra dimension enters into the man at the bris, we say. But, but now you see it in a different way, a different visualization that there's now this this um, conduit, this this porthole, if you will, this 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 you know this opening for the light, for the light to enter into the soul. But again, let's put this all together from another perspective. So we said by Adam and Chava that 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 pre eating from the tree of knowledge, there was this much more of an opening between heaven and earth, right? And and you could go up and down, and then. After we eat, this realm becomes much more physicalized. Human beings become much more physicalized. In order for the soul to regain its proper place, it has to sort of be extracted from the body, which is the whole explanation of death, right? But we're going to get back to this place where this, where there's harmony again between heaven and earth, right? That's why this amazing thing, Yom Yerushalayim, right? This amazing thing happening at Chesed Sheba Malchus, like right where Yesod and Malchus intersect, right? And we talk about the way that we get to that place is through Shvuas, through, through the Torah itself is where heaven and earth come together, right? Another paradigm in terms of understanding this. Okay, so now, what's our role in terms of the rectification of everything? And we'll start to wrap it up now. So, just because it's such a evocative phrase, it always stayed with me. I heard from Reb Shlomo, and I don't know if these words, but he was saying in the name of Rabbi Nachman, um, whether he was quoting him directly or just explaining Rabbi Nachman in his own words, he said, really, a person should be able to hear a monkey from China. That's what he said. Like, when you hear that phrase, it's hard to forget that phrase, right? So, but if you think about it, it's amazing. Like, you know, a monkey, like, puts out a certain type of yell, right? A type of scream. That you should be able to hear a monkey from China. Why, why don't we? Because anger makes the loudest sound in the entire world. And there's so much anger in the world, it's drowning out all these sounds, right? It's like, it's like blocking our radar in, in so many different ways. So if you begin to try to visualize this, there are all these competing energies, anger, hatred, jealousy, all these things, all this strife that's just blocking up all the all the all the um, airwaves, so to speak, right? And it's really reinforcing this division between heaven and earth. Now, what happens when we do mitzvot? When we do mitzvot, we harmonize all of these energies. You know, the rabbis teach we're about to enter into the month of Sivan. On the first day of Sivan is when we came together um, at, at Har Sinai. Like, that's when we arrived at Mount Sinai, the first day of Sivan. And that's coming up this week. Interesting, it's coming up on the third day of this week, Yom Shlishi, the third day. And the reason why I mention that is because the rabbis explain that, that the Torah was given 
in the third month, right, because it's Nisan, Iyar, Sivan, that's the third month, to the third tribe, right, through the third tribe, right, we have um, Ruvain, Shimon, and then Levi, right, Moshe is from Levi, the tribe of Levi. So in the third month, to the third tribe, to the third son, right, we have, we have Aaron, Miriam, and Moshe. So in the third month, to the third tribe, to the third child, right? And this week it's on the third day, right? So three is a very nice balance, right? It's, it's, it's harmony. It's harmony. Torah creates harmony. And when you do a mitzvah, you harmonize all these competing energies that are blocking up all the airwaves, so to speak, right? And then what happens is, and again, it says, to the effort goes the reward. If a person says a bracha, um, and I know I'm certainly guilty of this, um, and you say it so fast, you not only don't you have any kavana, you don't even know if you said it after you said it, right? So... How much energy leaves your body? Probably very little. <laughs> Something leaves your body, but very little. If you do a mitzvah that's very hard for you to do, but you do it anyway, what comes out of you? Something big comes out of you, right? Now, what happens when there's love among Jews? Then you get into things called like multipliers, right? Which is... Now, all of a sudden, there's these connections between all of us. And then when we do something together, there's an exponential level of energy that's emitted. And all of these things are clarifying the world. They're harmonizing the world. And they're bringing about this state of rectification between heaven and earth, where that continuity, where that opening is restored. And this is the destiny of the world. It will get back to this place, a thousand percent, a thousand percent. The world is moving into this direction. And we do it through, through rectifying the energy of the world, which we do through loving God, through loving each other, through acts of kindness, through mitzvot, through Torah study, through all of these things. And, uh, and, and it's big, it's big. Um, just finish on this idea that that a person can ask themselves, so why is it taking so long? Why is it why is it taking so long? Like a lot of people are bothered by that. They're very troubled by that. And the only thing that I can say is that um, you have to understand what the project that we're working on is. You know, I don't, I don't know if you've ever experienced this. This is sort of a game that I play with myself, which is. Um, it, I, I'll watch buildings go up. Like, oftentimes I'll walk the same path, say, to shul or something like that, or I'll drive the same way, and I'll just monitor a construction site. You know, how's it doing, you know? And, and if you've ever done that, and I think a lot of us can relate to that, it takes a long time to build a building. <laughs> you know, first you've got to knock down the building that's there, then you've got to build the, you've got to dig out the foundation, that takes a long time, then you've got to, like put down the whole foundation, then you've got to start to put it up, and then the windows, the outside, all the rest. Then you do the gardening outside, right? It's, it's like a lot of stages. It takes a long time. Okay, that's for one building. 
We're talking about the entire universe right now. I mean, it's beyond epic. It's beyond epic, the project that we're involved in. It's beyond epic. Beyond epic. And you have to understand that everything that our fathers and mothers have done over the thousands of years, all that energy, all that love, all that exertion, all that sacrifice that they've done hasn't been lost. It's still in the world. It's still active, right? And there's this cumulative process that we're the holy beneficiaries of, that we get to be part of that process and that our deeds count with their deeds and they're all together. And anyone can put the entire universe over the scales. It can be anyone's act. Anyone's mitzvah, anyone's act of kindness can be that one which absolutely does it, which tilts the scales, which creates that critical mass. And again, if you understand this, this sort of like exertion or this um, propelling of energy from people, you understand that the, the, the greatest gift in order to do that is to get to those multipliers. And the way that you get that is when there's love among us. Because then we're all blasting simultaneously as a group and it's whole different levels. So you understand, again, just I'm talking about from a sort of physics splash energy perspective on this. You see the extreme importance of Avas Yisrael, of loving God's crea creations in general, right? It's also just all of his creations because every, we're all children of God. Jew, non-Jew, we're all children of God. So when we have that, then we're able to actually accomplish way more, way more, and way faster. So I heard Reb Shlomo say several times that who knows whose prayer it's going to be. And he, he would say that it could be someone lying in a gutter. A prayer of someone lying in a gutter, that might be his prayer that puts the entire universe over the top. So Hashem should bless us, that really we should love each other, that we should bring heaven and earth together, Amen. that we should see all those openings up and just all the Shefa come down so that we have what we need to serve God with uh, in truth and, uh, and, that, and that Hashem should really be revealed in the world so that, so that we, can, we can be in the proper relationship. I mean... No one wants to be in a relationship where they feel as though they're not being appreciated, you know? So, how much more so between us and God? How much more so should we value that relationship and really want Hashem to have nachas and, and pride and, and, and love and a feeling of satisfaction, so to speak, that, 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 we're, that we're acting as though in the way that we were meant to act. And, and I certainly want to be the type of person that that, 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 that should be in a love relationship and, 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 and not to be uh, in a relationship where Hashem is just going, really? Really? <laughs> you know? And we can all do that. And, uh, you know, like the, the Navi Yeshaya, the prophet Yeshaya says that, that, that just we're longing for that day where Hashem's, the knowledge of Hashem fills the world like the waters fill the sea. And if you think about it, what does that mean, the waters fill the sea? What is the sea? The sea is water. The waters fill the sea. That means that you just see God absolutely everywhere because the water is the sea. Right? Okay. It says, you know, it's better to die than to live. Right? In some how, how, how do you mean? 
Just to explain this one point, which is, I mean, it's so deep, just to touch the surface of it. You would think if the whole point of our counting is, what, what should be the whole point of counting? To get to the number 50, right? Because it's on the 50th day that the event happens. So it's actually quite striking that we count to 49 and we don't count the 50th day. So why aren't we counting the 50th day? So on the simplest level, it's because... Um, it's because you can't put any sort of boundaries on it because the Torah is so beyond time and space that you can't, if you think you can quantify it, then you're already limiting it and you're already not receiving it because you're just projecting borders and limitations on it instead of just making yourself a vessel to receive it, right? But on another level, we're saying that at Mount Sinai, heaven and earth came together. But the Torah already came down before the world was created. <laughs> That's the joke, you know? I mean, because the Talmud says that the Torah, the Torah existed 974 generations before the earth was created, before the universe was created. So, and that God made the world out of the Torah. So, so I'm giving you another explanation of why we're not counting the day that the Torah came down, because the Torah was already here. Right? What, what happened was that the Torah became revealed. It was very different from the Torah arrived. So it would be inaccurate, actually, to count that day. Because that's not when the Torah showed up. The whole world's made out of the Torah. 